0: All right, we're grabbing those Bibles, which is great. We are going to be hopping around a bit, so I'm actually not even going to have you turn to something quite yet. Uh, with that, uh, who here feels like they are a good cook? Just, like, let's, let's define good as a 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10 or better. All right, we're, okay, flip it. Who is worse? Who's a 5 out of 10 or worse? Okay, I'm looking at you. you. You guys... We are in the same boat. I am a horrible cook. And I've been a horrible cook for a long time. Even so much uh, was proven when I was in, I was probably about third grade, I was helping my grandmother cook this meal. Um, and I, I was asked to help with the Spanish rice, right? Like, and it was just like, Tony, can you make the microwavable Spanish rice? And I said, OK, how do I do it? And she's like, All you have to do is you just got to put it in the oven for, or, uh, in the microwave for about three minutes. Uh, And so with that, I I immediately poured it into a bowl and stuck it in the microwave for three minutes. Uh, Lo and behold, about like a minute and a half in, small flames were in the microwave uh, because I didn't put water in. I was just told to put it in the microwave and it would be fine. And then I thought, like why, like, why would anybody ever complain about cooking? All you have to do is throw it in the microwave. You have to put water in. And there's, maybe those of you who are the 5 out of 10 below, you're like, I didn't know this. I, didn't, I did not know this in third grade. I should have. I just was a horrible cook then. And since then, it has not gotten any better. I just, I, I never know where to start when it comes to cooking. This... Series that we're doing, um, that we're going through, uh, is called Unmasked. And actually, if you didn't know, Nikki has created this series as part of like his intern project. Is the, These six weeks that we're going through talking about our identity of who we are in Jesus. Who are you really at your, at your core? If we unmask, take off all the things that we put on that are other than Christ, d- at your deepest, you, yeah, it's, it's super hot, right? No? What the echo? The echoing? I don't know. It keeps echoing for me. Great. Uh, Sometimes I can't hear when I'm up here talking, and so uh, just wince at me if it gets too weird, and I'll wince at Zach, and we'll fix it together. Uh, Anywho, uh, knowing for this series we've been talking about specifically, uh, unmasked, who we are in Christ. In the last two weeks, uh, Nikki started us off. He talked about how we are servants. At our core, we're called to be servants because of what Jesus has done for us. He served us and we get to reflect that back to a world that needs him. And last week, Phoebe talked about that we're adopted. In Scripture, you see it over and over again that we've been adopted, adopted into the family of God. And this week, we're talking about this idea that we are holy. We are holy, which I say that, and a lot of you probably get this moment in your head where it's like, I think I know what that means. I've heard it at church a bunch And I believe that what Tony is saying is true, but I don't really know exactly what's going on. You see, when we're talking about holiness, we have to start from the right place. We have to start from the right place. If we start from the wrong place, if you're putting the, the, the rice in, an, uh, in a microwave without water, it's going to be a mess. In the same way, when we're talking about holiness, we need to start from an understanding of who God is. Before we ever talk about who we are and talking about who, like, that we are holy, we need to understand who God is in order for us to pick up on. And this is, this is what I, I, I'm hoping that we walk away understanding. The phrase that we are holy should be baffling it should like cause your jaw to drop because we shouldn't be. Most of us don't have the, uh, an accurate definition of holy, and so I'm hoping we walk away with that. And I hope we walk away with just awe of what God has done for us, that he has made a way for us to be in relationship with him. And so we're going to start at the right place, and the right place is understanding that God is holy. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3, and Isaiah 6. It'll be on the screen, but man, I get distracted if it's on the screen, so I need a Bible before me. And so you can flip over to the second book of the Bible, Exodus 3. Alright, I love the sound of Bible pages turning. Alright, alright, As you're still flipping there, I'm just going to pray for us as we go to God's word. I always love to start off by praying, remembering if God is speaking, we need help listening and so let's ask him to help us. So would you pray with me? Father, we pause our hearts in this moment. Uh, All the things that have gone on in this weekend, the things that are to go on later today, the rest of this week and Lord, we just put our attention on you. Father, we fill our minds with so many things constantly and it's so easy for us to miss you. So would you help us Listen, not to just know about things that are on a page, but to know the living God who desires relationship with us. Would you help us? We love you, Father. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, "Amen." Amen. Amen. All right. Looking at verses one through four, it says this. Now Moses was keeping flock of of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw they had turned aside to see, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. All right. We're jumping into like a random passage right here. We're looking at the story of Moses. You see, Moses was a guy who was uh, born in the people of Israel, but yet when uh, Pharaoh decided that he was going to annihilate all the Israelite babies, all the Jewish babies, uh, Moses' family gave him up in order, and the Lord spared him, gave him away. And so with that, chapter 2, we see in Moses' life that he's raised up in the family of Pharaoh, and he ends up murdering a guy. And he ends up running off to to not be killed himself. Lots going on in just a few chapters of the Bible. But we get to this section where he's staying with his father-in-law. He's gotten married. He's been on the run for about 40 years. And he's taking care of the sheep. It's a very lowly task, going from royalty to taking care of sheep. And he's taking care of these sheep, and he walks past the spot that he's probably been countless times. And he looks off to the side. It says he turns aside, and he sees that there's this bush on fire, yet it's not being consumed, which is like, I I love that he says, like, I'm going to go check this out, which why wouldn't you if you looked and saw a bush on fire? Like, I'm going to see what's going on over here. Of course you would. You move towards it, and it's there that the bush starts talking, which is crazy, and the Lord saw that that Moses had come, and he called out to him. He says Moses' name. He says, Moses, Moses, and Moses responds, here I am. You see that as Moses is approaching him, God invites him in. And then we get to this point where we begin to talk about or see what we're talking about today. Look at verse 5. And then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Once again, this is a spot that Moses probably had been to often. He's passed by this, this space before with the, the sheep he would be taking care of. And so, as God calls out to him and he says, you're standing on holy ground, take off your sandals, take off your dirty sandals, stand before me, like uncovered, unmasked. Stand before me in this way. It's not that the ground was holy before. What makes the ground holy? Really, think about it for a second. What's making that ground holy? The presence of God, that he is there. You're standing on holy ground because you're standing before God speaking to you right here. And it's so important. I I love that as God is introducing himself, what does he do? Hey, before I introduce myself in in chapter, in verse six, take off your shoes and acknowledge that I am holy before you even hear. Do you see that? In verse five, he says, Take off your sandals. And then he says in verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. It's almost like God is saying, Moses, in order for you to truly know who I am, you need to acknowledge that I am holy, that I am greater. In other words here, when God is introducing himself to Moses, he's saying Moses is foundational. This is the starting point of understanding who I am, that I am holy. I want to take a moment, if this is foundational for knowing who God is, to just like for you to actually talk with the people around you of what words come to mind when you hear holy. And I want your honest answers. I don't want the answers that you think I want to hear. What comes to mind when I say the word holy? Look, you got 30 seconds. Talk to the people around you. All right, 10 seconds. All right. Now that you've talked with the people around you, just a few people, shout out some things that come to mind when you hear the word holy. Very clean oh. One at a time. <laughs> what? Set aside from the world. A Very clean bed. Very clean bed. Oh, yeah, like cleanliness, like clean cleanliness bed. yeah. God. Yeah, that's great. Bright light. Yes. Pure. Pure. Cool. Yeah. Clean. Clean bleach. Holiness bleach. Holy guacamole. Okay, perfect. I, I hear you. I used to think, I used to think that, I, I knew this wasn't the definition, but whenever I heard the word holy, the word that actually came to mind for me was boring. Honestly. Honestly. Like, that was the word that came to mind. Whenever I heard the word holy, I would think, okay, here we go, this is going to be boring. You guys want to hear the definition of holy? To be holy is to be separate and distinct. Separate and distinct. And not just, like, being unique, but separate and distinct in goodness. To be holy is to be separate and distinct in goodness. And we see in Scripture that God is perfectly holy he is other than us other than this world he's been here before we were and he's infinite and he's like he's perfect and this idea of god being holy means that he is separate and distinct of anything that you have experienced in this life he is greater he is more pure he is more perfect clean And a picture of God's holiness, just a small picture, is found in Isaiah chapter 6. It's one that I feel like helps paint a picture for us. You can flip over there. We're going to be flipping around a ton. But look at this in Isaiah 6. You can use the table of contents if you need it, I promise. It won't bite. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1, there's this vision that Isaiah has. He describes and says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It's this wild scene that Isaiah is brought to of these angels proclaiming out Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So much so, so so separate and distinct in goodness compared to them that they're covering their feet, they're covering their eyes, and they're flying around. I mean, might as well just have an extra set of wings, you know? And they call out, holy, holy, holy. You see, in, uh, in Jewish culture, whenever you called something... Uh, Whenever you said a word multiple times, it was meant to produce emphasis. Like, I mean, it's the same for us. We do the same exact thing. If you repeat a word, you're trying to hammer in how significant it is. So typically, people would say, like, uh, if you were eating a breakfast burrito, you would say, wow, this breakfast burrito is tasty. But if in the Jewish culture you really wanted to emphasize how tasty it was, you would say, this breakfast burrito is tasty, tasty. Like, you would just repeat the word. And it was so common to say the word twice to repeat it to have emphasis. But if you did it a third time, if you threw that word in a third time, it meant that it was of, like, superiority that can be unmatched. There's nothing that compares. And for here, for these angels who are with God to say, holy, 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 separate and distinct in goodness, separate and distinct in goodness, separate and distinct in goodness, so much other than in how great he is. Isaiah's stunned. He's overwhelmed. And what does he do? He realizes, God is holy and I am not. Right? That's the response that Isaiah has. God is holy and he realizes, I'm a man of unclean lips. I am not holy. I am not separate and distinct in goodness. And he's overwhelmed in that moment. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around God's holiness just because it's so different than what we encounter in this world. And even when we begin to understand it, we're just like getting a fraction of it. You see, God will always be holy because he is other than us. There's this distinction. We are creation. God is creator. He will always be more holy because he is perfectly holy, and you see, when we actually are confronted with God's holiness, his perfection, it puts us in check. When you actually, like, put yourself in Isaiah's shoes. Imagine standing in that place where you're looking at God, and you're seeing the train of his robe filling this whole big old room in smoke, and it's shaking because of how loud people are, are calling out. It's scary in a sense, when you realize how big God is and how small we are. You see, holiness puts us a reality check on us, God's holiness, and it should It should put a reality check on us when we consider His holiness, because holiness requires reverence. it requires special recognition. And that's just often not the case. Growing up, I had a lot of cousins, um, about 20-plus cousins that we would hang out around the same age, like within like an eight-year window, you know? Um, and we'd always hang out at my grandparents' house. And uh, there was this one summer that we were hanging out that we... Uh, ended up making a bunch of clubs. Like, it was, I don't know what, it's like what cousins do. You just do the weirdest things. Uh, But we decided we were going to make these clubs of cousins, and they were going to be about certain things. And so one of the clubs was all about sports, and they were playing outside, and another club was all about being in the kitchen, hanging out, doing crafts. And then uh, they were... It became, like, so clicky, even in our family, that everybody was, like, fighting over who got to be a part of which club. Like, come on, you want to be a part of the sports club? We're way better. No, you want to come become be a part of this club. Uh, come be a part of, like, the, the artsy, craftsy club. Um, and people, like, people in my family were arguing, cousins, kids, of, like, who was in which club and who wasn't. You're no longer allowed in that one because you went and hung out with them. It's so dumb, so dumb that me and my, uh, I had three of my cousins decided, you know what, we're going to make anti-club. Uh, we made anti-club, and the anti-club uh, was a club with no rules, and it meant that we would gather in the garage where the fridge was with sodas and pickles, because um, <laughs> I love pickles, um, and we would just hang out, and there was no agenda, uh, but obviously after like five minutes of anti-club, we got a little bored, um, and so start like, messing around in the garage, um, and uh, we see something that seemed like it was going to be pretty entertaining, like gardening tools, you know? Uh, Or even just like other tools, like a saw. Like, there were things that we like saw hanging up that we thought, that looks like fun to play with. Uh, So we ended up playing with those things, um, and uh, didn't just end up playing with them, but battling um, with those things. Uh, The the weapon of choice for me was a sledgehammer. And of course, we weren't like trying to hurt each other, but it's like saw, sledgehammer. Uh, I think, I'm, I'm trying to remember all of the tools that were there. Uh, I think somebody had a measuring tape that they were like, you know, you like <laughs> loosened it up and you're swinging it around. And just like all these things uh, as we were having anti-club. Also in the garage uh, is pop uh midlife crisis car. Uh, A Mitsubishi GT 3000 VR4 Twin Turbo. We got a picture, we put it up there. (laughs) The headlights go like this. You know, like what I'm talking about? Uh, And it's covered. And we are having anti-club around Pop-Up's car in the garage, and we are swinging these things around. Um, And of course, we're we're being careful. Um, All of you guys think you know where the story's going. I'm sorry, we did not break Pop-Up's car. But Pop-Up did walk out when I had Sledgehammer above the car, swinging at my cousin Chris. (laughs) And of course, Pop-Pop taught me some new cuss words that day. (laughs) As the kids were in the garage, recklessly about to destroy his baby, you know? Like, being around this Mitsubishi... I I literally have to read it, because I don't know cars. Mitsubishi GT 3000 VR4 Twin Turbo, his midlife crisis car. You see, we had, like, no sense of reverence for my grandpa's vehicle. Like, we didn't care a lick that his car was in there. We were doing what we wanted to do, and it was actually a lot of fun. Even though it was dangerous, we could have damaged the thing that he cared about. And there's this certain idea that I think we can miss, that holiness, like, requires reverence from us, recognizing God is who he says he is, and he's perfect. And it should cause us to be respectful. I mean, have you ever wondered why, like, we ask people to stop goofing off during worship? It's because God deserves reverence, he deserves respect, he is holy, and we are not. And now, of course, my grandpa's not God, this car is not actually holy, but I think it's a helpful picture of how we often live our lives, that we're swinging tools around recklessly and dangerously, and maybe even at church where it's a place where, man, we're called to be refreshed and renewed and sent back out to represent Jesus well, that we can be reckless and not reverent, and we're called to acknowledge that God is holy, and we are not. But here's the thing, and also if you're taking notes on the little tiny thing, and go on the back of your phone if you want it. But it's crazy that it doesn't just stop there. You see, God is holy, and we are not, but yet, God makes us holy. God makes us holy. We're going to spend more time next week talking about what's it mean that we're justified. Uh, Nikki's going to be talking about what's that mean that we've been made righteous because of what Jesus has done, you see, like, in summary, where Nikki's gonna be going, is that the consequences of our sin for being sinful has been paid. If sin deserves death, Jesus has paid that death on the cross and not only died, but resurrected on the third day afterwards. But not only did he pay the punishment for sin, he also handed us his righteousness. So we get Christ's perfection when we put our faith in Jesus. We are made perfect before God. We've been justified and with that, as that happens, as we are, uh, put our faith in Jesus, God actually makes us holy because we're made righteous as he is righteous. I think a, a helpful picture of like actually how this plays out is found through the temple in Old Testament. All throughout the Old Testament, you know that people would have to make sacrifices regularly for their sins. I mean, if you've ever opened up to the Old Testament and like tried to read it, it's, it kind of feels confusing because it's so foreign to us they had to make sacrifices because sin required death. And so every single time that an animal's blood was shed, it was a reminder that that should be my blood over and over. And even so much so that once a year there was a day of atonement where a high priest would go in and they would shed the blood of bulls and goats specifically for all the people. If we missed anything, God, we were remembering that we deserve this, that sin requires Death. They would go into this place, they call it the Holy of Holies, the deepest part of the temple where God was, is residing in the Old Testament. And that's where it would happen. That only one person a year would go in there because it was meant to be the holiest place on earth. And yet when Jesus died, when Jesus like, died on the cross, there were a few things that happened immediately after. And one of them that I just want to zoom in on of what happened in the Holy of Holies after Jesus died, look at Matthew 27:51, it's on the screen. it says this, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. You see, there was a, a curtain that separated, like the outside from the Holy of holies, like the rest of the temple in there, and you'd have to go behind the curtain to get in. And right when Jesus died, it says, in, in Matthew and Mark, that the curtain was torn. And how was it torn? From top to bottom, because where was it being torn from? God had torn it. The divide between God and his people was no more. Like, guys, this is insane. One person a year would get to go, and God is saying, because of what Jesus has done, what God has done on our behalf, he has taken that divide away and he comes and dwells with us. Actually, we see even in 1 Corinthians 6, it says this in in verses 19 and 20, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with, with a price. So glorify God with your body. You see, no longer is there the Holy of Holies, no longer is there a temple that God resides in. He resides in his people now. Which means the Holy of Holies is actually with you. Take a second to think about that. If God is separate and distinct in goodness, and yet because of what Jesus has done on the cross, it was that significant to to the point where the God of the universe, the most holy being that will ever be, is now in those who've put their faith in Jesus. He makes us holy. He makes us separate and distinct in goodness. The same one that had Moses take off his shoes, the angels praise and worship, the one who tore the curtain in half is in you if you've put your faith in Christ. You've been made separate and distinct. You are not holy because of how good of a lifestyle you live. You are not holy because of anything that you have done. You are made holy because solely of what Christ has done in you what he has made possible and it's because of that that we actually can start to live a life that reflects that reality that we get to start choosing other things than sin and don't mishear me with that like I I don't want you to think like I'm, I'm going out and say like your life is all about not sinning your life is about glorifying God and a byproduct of that is going to be choosing him over your sin living a life that looks more and more the way of who you actually are When I was uh, in college, I worked at Forest Home, summer camp, um, and I ran the high school version of the family camp. There would be like 10 to 60 kids a week. Um, And uh, we would partner up with the middle schoolers pretty often. Like, we would um, partner up together and go do different activities and things. Um, And typically, it was like going to the ropes course or doing uh, the mud bowl, Um, just like these different crazy activities together. And so I remember we were walking one of the weeks one summer, Um, up to the mud bowl where it was like me and three other leaders. And I'm at the front with my friend Johnny and the girls are the girl leaders are in the back. And as we're hiking up this hill, at the top of the hill, we see just what looks like a, a medium sized like a large cat. And like there, I've, I've seen bobcats plenty of times before. And so I thought, first of all, like that must be a bobcat until it turned around and this giant tail swung behind it. Uh, that was a mountain lion uh, that we saw, and all I know is that uh, mountain lions kill people, uh, and so uh, what? They are very cute um, until they're on top of you. Um, and uh, it was this moment where my heart went from like 60 beats per minute to like a thousand beats per minute of just like, "Oh my gosh, my life is in danger. I'm like within like 50 yards of this cat." And then it clicked on me that like, I'm responsible for the 80-plus kids behind me who are all heading in this direction. Immediately, my first thought was, like, you know what? I should just turn back until I I realized that I was responsible for all of these people. I I realized my job, who I was. I was a camp counselor, and my first priority was actually to take care of these kids. You see, so often we have, like, our first, like, inclination of, like, towards what we want, what we think is best, but we actually need to remember of our identity and who we are in Christ. And so my encouragement to you, HSM, is to remember that you have been made holy. So we get to actually step in that as we walk from this place. If you don't have a relationship with God, it doesn't help for me to say, go clean up your life and stop sinning, because that's actually not going to do anything for you. But if you have put your faith in Jesus, man, the, or the conviction, if you were in main service today, a confession of our sin is so foundational to walking weekly, daily with God. If, I feel like I'm talking to a few people in the room as I say this. Um, if you have a relationship with God and you keep choosing your sin, why are you settling? Why are you settling? You're settling for less. There is something so much greater in this life, so much more purpose, more significance, more eternal, more fulfilling. You are not holy because you are better than other people at following the, the rules. You are not holy because you sin less than the person next to you. It's only because of what God has done. So stop being indifferent towards your sin. Take it seriously. God took it so seriously that he sent himself to die on the cross for it. So why wouldn't we take our sin seriously? It's been paid with. It no longer binds us. And so we can actually walk towards a God who is holy as we begin to look more and more like him in this world, reflecting our identity deepest in nature. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we, we pause at the end of this message and and realize that this is just a topic that uh, we feel like we feel like we maybe have a vague idea about, or we think we understand. Um, but Lord, it, the implications are are huge. Lord, if we actually believe that we are holy because of what you have done, we will live so differently with so much more gratitude. We should never have been able to say the words that we are holy, but yet you have made a way. God, thank you for what you constantly do. You blow us away. You baffle us. And so, Father, would you be more glorified in this room as we sing praises to you, as we respond and worship, even with reverence, because of who you are. You are good, Father. We love you. Praise you, Lord. Amen.